Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format helps you learn at your own pace and fit earning a degree into your life. From before you enroll to after you graduate, you'll be supported by people who are invested in your success so you can pursue your goals knowing that help is available if you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network. Today on the James Altucher Show. People are not afraid of coronavirus. People are afraid of fear. The stock market doesn't like uncertainty. The stock market is like a thermometer on the psychology of the world. And people get scared when there's uncertainty. If we knew for sure, like we do with the flu, how many probable deaths there would be, even if it was in the millions, the stock market probably wouldn't have been affected as much. But just to keep in mind, 250 to 500,000 people a year die of the flu. Right. But but that's again, crazy. but that just stays the same. Right. And it's horrible, too. But we know we right. kind of know that happens and every industry sort of plans for that. That's why I mean that the uncertainty is the bigger problem than yeah. than the number of deaths. I think, again, prepare for the worst case scenario or at least think about it. But I would ignore the stock market. Don't sell anything. I'm, again, this is not a recommendation. This is what I would do. I wouldn't sell anything. I'd probably look to start edging into oil, but I'm not recommending anything. I would also start looking at the India ETFs because certainly India with a billion people is going to start getting manufacturing away from China. And uh, I don't know, probably everything. Probably all the stocks are good now because eventually the stock market's going to be at all-time highs. Again, my fear is for 2021, but not, not for right now. But don't panic. As it says in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the main mantra is don't panic and don't forget your towel because you're washing your hands so much. Today was the worst. I'm already got a sore throat. I'm worried I have coronavirus. I'm not even kidding. But we were just, just got back, just landed from Amsterdam where we spent a week. The Netherlands uh, has... I don't know. So when we got to the Netherlands, which was a week earlier, they had about 34 cases. Today, I think they have about 300 cases. So it's been growing pretty heavily. But of course, Amsterdam has, you know, I don't know. 50, I mean, the Netherlands has like 15 million people. So still not a lot of cases. But we were all over the Netherlands. I was doing stand-up comedy. And I came back to talk about coronavirus. And the day we come back, it's a historical day. The world's the largest drop in history of the Dow Jones index dropped over 2000 points uh, around 7 percent or a little over 7 percent. And the uh, the last uh, let's talk about actually the last couple of times it's dropped so much and other similar situ- situations to why people were so scared. And it, and then we have to ask, is this time different is this is all those are all were all those other fears invalid in previous crashes or is this one is this time things are different and this time the fear is valid which it, it might be i'm not going to uh well i will dispute it a little bit but we'll see i'm not going to talk too much about like specific numbers because that's going to be boring like how much how many factories are open how many factories are closed but let's just talk about the general trends and what's happening and why this may or may not be different first off uh there's been a lot of bear markets in the past 11 years. People act like we've had this 10 or 11 year bull market, but there were a bear market is defined as when the market goes down 20%, even for half a second from top to bottom, the market's down 20%. This has happened four or five times since 2010. Like for instance, when Greece defaulted on their debt in 2010, and then there was other random times since then, some of them completely random, but Let's go back to the financial crisis of 2008, 2009. This was a, just a total disaster. The, the Dow fell over 50% from top to bottom. And 
people didn't even understand. Like people didn't understand the world financial system almost caved in. Like the world literally ran out of money. Could you imagine if you borrowed, let's say, uh, uh, let's say you had $10 and you decided to borrow $1,000, 100 times your $10, you borrowed $1,000 and you made a $1,000 bet and you were 1% down on your bet, you'd be wiped out, you'd be bankrupt. What if you went 2% down on your $1,000 bet? You would, you would lose all your money, double all of your money. And that's what happened to the entire world financial system. All these banks were leveraged 100 to 1. They all lot, they made huge bets on what's, what was called subprime housing, housing that was, um, you know, didn't meet, housing bonds and mortgages that didn't meet the same standards that uh, they historically had met. They made this huge, all the banks made this huge bet that people would pay back their mortgages. One or 2% did not pay back their mortgages. And literally every bank in the world financial system went bankrupt. It was only because the U.S. bailed out, you know, over $2 trillion of banks and insurance companies that your ATM machines simply didn't shut down. Like the world had simply run out of money. The Federal Reserve, the European Central Bank, other central banks all found their own unique ways to literally print money out of thin air and just give it to the banks so that the banks would not close down. And that's that that. It seemed it, nobody knew if it would save the financial system or not. The big problem was everybody thought if you if you just give people two trillion dollars or more, when when all about when all the ballots finishes probably was somewhere between three and five trillion dollars were printed in the economy, and people were worried correctly that this might create inflation. And it's just nobody really under, does nobody really understands why inflation didn't start. There's a lot of theories, but the reality is there wasn't inflation. The banks were saved. The stock market recovered. And even though there's been bear markets since, we've kind of been in this 11-year, non-recessionary, great economic environment, starting with the bailout and Obama, then continuing with with Trump. And just, just a few days ago, I mean, there was incredible economic news, which is that the unemployment rate is at an all-time low, a 3.5%. Uh, there was, I think there was 200, 240,000 non-farm jobs uh, or 270,000 non-farm jobs uh, added to payroll. So more people are at work than ever. And the economy, in, without the coronavirus, the economy looked like it was on track to grow between three and 4% this quarter. So everything seemed to have been going great. The stock market was hitting all-time highs every single day almost, it seemed, and in January and early February. And with good reason, it turned out all the economic data was good. Companies reporting great earnings. People, Companies were hiring. Uh, more, more houses were being built than in the past, I don't know, five to 10 years. Everything, everything was going. All the indicators of a good economy were happening. And then this coronavirus hit. But again, I want to rewind to the financial crisis Again, everybody thought the world was ending. The stock market was going down, you know, a huge amount. I mean, to have a fifty-four percent fall—that's like that—that's like the Great Depression in nineteen twenty-nine. So far, we're down about in bear market territory, around the twenty percent mark, depending on which index you're looking at. But it's still a long way from that fifty percent. Before that, the biggest uh, downturn was uh, in, of course, after nine eleven, and again there were. There were intermediate spots in between. There were bear markets, but 9-11, everything crashed. Nobody knew what was happening. Wars were starting. It looked like people weren't going to be able to travel anymore because of terrorism. Everyone was afraid to go out of their house. People, The economy shut down, and this was on top of a, a, a recession, the 2001 recession caused by the bursting of the dot-com bubble. So all this a trillion dollars in value were created in the stock market from these dot-com companies. It was all wiped out. A ton of people lost their jobs. On top of that, 9-11 happened. On top of that, there was Enron corruption, WorldCom corruption. All these companies were corrupt. So it was really a bad situation. Nobody knew when we were going to recover. It took a few years to recover. But again, just a few weeks ago, the stock market was at all-time highs. So if at any point you had bought during these world-collapsing situations, you would have been at all-time highs just a few weeks ago. You would have been winning the game. 
Now, of course, we're, we're down huge. But let's even go back further. Stock market fell 20% in a day on October 19th, 1987. It's known as Black Monday. It was the worst day in stock market history. And I think not only did the market quickly recover, it was the, the stock market was up by the by the end of the year in 1987. So even though that was a disaster, people jumped out of buildings on Wall Street. It was uh, everybody thought world economic collapse was inevitable. Another Great Depression was going to happen. Nothing happened. And the stock market survived. And we could keep on going back. You can go back to uh, inflation in the early 80s. You can go back to the oil crisis in 1973. You could go back to, well, actually, let's go back to 1957. Because you know what happened then? There was a pandemic. It was called the Asian flu. It was a, a, a I don't know how they number these things. I think that one was called, um, it was called the Asian flu, but it was the scientific name was something something H2N2. I don't know why the H2N2 happened before H1N1, which was in the 2000s, the the, the um, swine flu. But uh, uh, so the Asian flu happened in 1957. Uh, there were, you know, the economy had been doing great. Suddenly, the economy at the end of 1957 or the first quarter of 1958, economy had its worst drop for a quarter since 1941. But then when the economy falls and people stop buying, eventually they have to start buying again. And uh, by the end of 1958, the the economy was rebounding huge. The stock market rebounded huge. The, the market was going to all-time highs. That was the Hong Kong flu. The next big uh, flu academic was the, oh, sorry, that was the Asian flu. The next big flu a- academic was the Hong Kong flu in, in, I think it was 1967 or 1968. And I should mention in the Asian flu in the United States, 34,000 people died. The Hong Kong flu, I think was over 70,000 people in the U.S. alone died. And, you know, SARS, of course, was a big, there was big pandemic worries. H1N1, the swine flu, there were big pandemic uh, worries. Now we have big pandemic worries again. And I'll start to explain why things are different, but I have a couple of people around me. Robin, my wife is here. I don't know. If you have any questions, concerns so far? Well, I want to know really what makes the coronavirus different than all these other pandemics, you think? Uh, okay, so two things. So, and this is, the, this is the heart of the matter. Two things I think make this different. And by the way, I don't want to talk like a doctor or an immunologist. We've done two podcasts in the past couple of weeks where I interviewed hardcore immunologists who are working on coronavirus and they gave really insightful guidance about what's going on. I think the most important thing we learned about coronavirus is it's heavily contagious. It's more contagious than SARS. It doesn't, it seems to be, oh no, sorry. It's not as contagious as SARS, but it seems to be more fatal than SARS. So that's the scary part. Uh, And another important thing to note is that everyone says, oh, you know, hundreds of thousands of people or millions of people die from the flu every year. That's true, but we kind of, that's a known we don't really know the the number of millions of people who will die from coronavirus. People say, and I'm going to take the worst case scenario. People say, uh, oh, only 3,000 people or only 4,000 people have died so far from coronavirus. Millions die from the flu every year. Why are we so worried about this? The reason we're worried about this is because a very small percentage of people who get the flu die from it. And we kind of know the number every year that's going to die from it. With coronavirus, we have no clue about anything. We don't know how many people actually have coronavirus because we don't know the people who don't have symptoms. We don't know how long people have it without symptoms and, and whether they can transmit the virus without symptoms. Some some immunologists say yes, some say no, we just don't know. We don't know the fatality rate. So even though you might know, you might say, oh, there's 100,000 cases, 2% die we still don't know the actual number of cases because there could be millions of people without symptoms. So we have, the fatality rate is somewhere between probably 0.3% and 3%. In China, initially, it looked like 3%. Outside of outside of the Wuhan um, city, it, it actually seems more like 1%. And in the US, for all we know, it's it's about 1% or, or, or significantly less. There's around... I just read there's around 9,000 cases already in the U.S., many of them unknown. It's, that's just a guess. And there's around 100 deaths. But again, we don't know how many actual cases there are. We don't know how much it's going to grow. But I'll tell you that, that that's 
That's the difference from a worst case scenario. It could be the case that tens of millions of people die. It could be the case that uh, we run out of hospital beds. That's one of the fears today. Uh, it, the fact that it's affecting China so heavily, at least in the beginning. I mean, uh, all the uh, something like 70% of factory production was just shut off in China. And since we get most or many of our foreign goods at some point eventually pass through Chinese factories, just... This is different from the financial crisis in 2008 in that in the financial crisis, we ran out of money. Now we're actually running out of toilet paper. There's like a toilet paper panic in the U.S. right now. People are like they like the, the, the aisles are empty in the toilet paper aisle. And in the U.S., they make our antibiotics. They make, uh, you know, a lot of the drugs we use. They make a lot or they make or package a lot of the food that we eat. So there's this fear that if China, if China's because now everything's so globalized, you know, China's entered into the global system in a way it wasn't 20 or 30 years ago. And and our industries are so dependent on China. The fear is that if China is only at 70% capacity and if China goes into a recession, we could go into a massive, massive depression. So I know people who have to shut down their small businesses because they just can't get their goods to sell anymore. I mean, they thought the factories would open on after the Chinese New Year, February 9th. And then they were told when they finally got a hold of somebody, they were told, oh no, it might be another four months before the factories open. Those companies are all going out of business. So there's tens of thousands, maybe more, maybe hundreds of thousands of people without jobs. So we were all gonna go to uh, the South by Southwest Festival in Austin to do a bunch of podcasts. They Just one event like that. Now it's a pretty big event, but this just gives you an example. One event like that, Hundreds, maybe thousands of people lost their short-term jobs that they had depended on. So every year in Austin, it's the it's the big economic event. And so, you know, restaurants won't do as much business. Cab drivers won't do as much business. The DJ for some of one single event at South by Southwest, that person won't get an income. There's probably, uh, there's a site um, called, I think it's ilostmygig.com. And it tracks all the people who lost jobs at uh, these single jobs in Austin. It's already millions of dollars of people who depended on, it's like how like toy stars de depend on Christmas to survive. If there was no Christmas, toy stars would all go out of business. There's a lot of people who depend on events like South by Southwest to kind of feed the rest of the year. And now they don't have that. So there's, there's serious issues with the economy and jobs. And if you hear all these individual stories, you start to get really scared gosh, what does this mean on the, the macro level? And again, what's different in, in between now and let's say 1968 with the Hong Kong flu is that we're much more dependent on China. We weren't dependent on China at all then, but it's not totally true. I mean, that virus, because we didn't have kind of the healthcare knowledge we have now, that virus spread really more quickly all around the world. Vietnamese soldiers were coming back to the US. Uh, there was trade going through the Panama Canal. All of these areas, the U.S., Panama, Asia, uh, all of these areas, essentially, you know, there was there was probably hundreds of thousands of deaths, if not more, due to this Hong Kong flu. And yet we didn't we didn't even go into a recession from it. And the stock market kept going. So so again, is this, you know, is this a lot different? I'm not sure. Manufacturing was hurt. Trade was hurt then. Uh, one thing that's interesting now, one thing that's interesting now is that we already were having a battle with China about trade. Like just a few months ago, it's so funny how all the news is just, it's just fear mongering. So six months ago, oh no, we're in a trade war with China. This is going to hurt the global economy. Well, guess what? That trade war is over now. Like China is begging to trade again. They're going to do whatever we say in terms of that, that trade war is done you know, on, for better or for worse, there's no more arguing about yeah. tariffs. We'll tell China what tariffs they're allowed to do. And they're going to say, yes, yes, we'll definitely do it. Just please trade with us again. And it's already too late for them. Like we're already, all the big industries are already looking at India, Indonesia, other, even in America, even in the US to switch their manufacturing. So they're not totally dependent on China. So this doesn't happen again. So long-term, this will have a good effect on trade. So, so, but still, what happened today? You had coronavirus fears spreading all over the place. 
it still doesn't look like it's going to spread anywhere anywhere near the size of or it's it, actually I, I shouldn't say that we don't know how far it's going to spread but it's just it, it's important to know we've dealt with again asian flu in 57 hong kong flu in 68 uh we've dealt with sars mers avian flu swine flu all every single one of these was listed as a pandemic every single one of these resulted in tens of thousands of deaths in the u.s hundreds of thousands of deaths or millions of deaths worldwide and of course there was influenza but that's a long time ago in 1918 which resulted in 20 million deaths and it's it's unclear whether coronavirus is going to be that serious or not even though individually of course it's a tragedy we don't want anybody to die but the reality is people are going to die but there's a couple of of good well okay again what happened today there's more fears about coronavirus. I mean, again, we were coming back from the Netherlands. I was kind of scared they were just going to cancel our plane. Like, I've been scared every single day this past week that we want to get back because all these planes were getting canceled all over the place. But the other thing that happened today was Saudi Arabia uh, and Russia, they've been in kind of a, a war over oil prices. Oil prices were kind of hanging out around 50, and Russia wanted to keep them high so that they could make money on fracking. I'm not going to get into the weeds about all the differences here, but Saudi Arabia finally just said, screw you, Russia. We're going to, we're just going to do our own thing. So Saudi Arabia, for whatever reason, well, we know one reason is they wanted to screw Russia, but they increased production of oil a huge amount. So oil has fallen in the past week, like from 50 to 30. I don't know where it ended up closing today. I saw this morning it was around 30. That's the largest, I think this is the largest one day loss for oil prices in history. And so people panicked on that. But here's the question I have. In 2006 or 2007, oil was at $150 a barrel, which which that's the re, that's one of the triggers that led to uh the recession in 2007, 2008, 2009. You can't drive to work if 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 gas is $5 uh, a gallon. And and again, in uh, in 1973, there was a big recession, a huge recession, 1973 and 74, and the stock market plunged a, a big amount, much bigger than what's happening now. There was a reason. Oil, you know, Saudi Arabia stopped sending oil to over to us. Oil prices spiked. I remember my dad would have to go, and and he would tell us, "Okay, I'll see you in three hours. I'm going to fill up the car," because there would be a line like a mile long to fill up your car back then, and so. A country went into a recession because of high oil prices in 1973. High high oil prices in 2006. Everyone's complaining about about low oil prices now. Are you kidding me? When there's when you, when oil goes from fifty dollars to thirty dollars, that's a huge stimulus in the economy. It's as if everybody in the country just got a pay raise. Everyone who drives to work now has more money per week because they don't have to spend on money as much money to drive. Now the problem is there's many there's like four to six million jobs directly related to oil prices. Some, but not all of those jobs will be lost. That will affect employment. But you have to understand, this was just Saudi Arabia screwing around because they wanted to screw over Russia. A, we don't know if they planned this with America, perhaps, to screw over Russia a little bit. And at the same time, oh, look, it's also a massive stimulus on the U.S. economy right when we need it. It's a massive, massive stimulus. $30 a barrel, 2006 $150 a barrel. That's a huge difference. So this is this is just putting money in Americans' pockets. So net the net effect is that it's a long-term gain. Even if there are short-term jobs lost, which again, it's always a tragedy, but you know, long-term it's 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 going to benefit the US economy to have low, low oil prices. But it's not like this is a you know, price is determined by supply and demand. Usually when there's low oil prices, it means because people aren't demanding items. And so you don't need to drive. The trucks aren't driving and delivering goods. And so less oil is needed. Less people are traveling for business because demand is low. That's not what's happening here. What happened here is just a game. Saudi Arabia is manipulating the price of oil down. And so those games can't last forever. Saudi Arabia has already passed its peak oil point, although they continually uh, deny it. They can't just keep pumping oil at this rate forever. So oil prices are going to shoot back up. In fact, uh, Sam Zell, one of the greatest investors ever, big real estate investor, uh, he sold all his real estate holdings in 2006. So talk about great timing. Now he's plowing 
tons of money into oil and gas companies. So you look at like a company like Royal Dutch Shell. I'm not recommending any stocks here, but just look at Royal Dutch Shell. They were, they were, I don't know, they were like 16, 20% down today. They were, they're huge down from their, their all-time high just a few weeks ago. They, they're, they have a, a, like an 8 or 9% dividend yield. You can't, they're, they're trading for only something like eight times next year's earnings, four times their cash flow. This company can't get cheaper. And de the demand for oil hasn't changed that much, even with decline in travel, even with decline in uh, production in China, the demand for oil hasn't changed that much that the that that Royal Dutch Shell should be down whatever it is, trading for only four times cash flow. And I'm not just recommending that stock. There's all these oil stocks have become dirt cheap over a simple game that has nothing to do with supply and demand. And because though all those companies, which are some of the largest companies in the world, fell, that's part of what happened to the stock market. The stock market's weighted on these big companies. So when the big companies fall, the stock market falls. When oil falls from 50 to 30 in just a few days, oil companies fall, the stock market indices fall. And and, and this had nothing to do with coronavirus, although all the news is coronavirus. Now, the other thing I wanna say about coronavirus, and again, this is not me being a doctor, it's just me looking at all the numbers, so judge it for what it's will, do your own Googling. But right now, it looks like China is reopening their factories at a very fast rate. They're probably double what they were just a few weeks ago. They shut down everything a few weeks ago. Now they're reopening, like all the factories around Shanghai are reopening. Now, Shanghai was in total shutdown just two weeks ago. Now those factories have reopened. And also it looks like the number of cases in China have, not, the number of cases in China, particularly outside Wuhan, have not increased in two days. number I think the number of deaths outside of Wuhan in China have been zero the past two days. And it looks like the same trend is happening in South Korea, which is the which became the next biggest country for the coronavirus. So it, it, people think that and, and they're right to think this. Maybe this is gonna increase exponentially around the world and a hundred million people will, will die. Those numbers are ridiculous. What really looks like it's happening is again, A, we don't know the fatality rate, so we don't know how many people are going to die, even if people are fully exposed. And what happens in any country is that it, the number of people who get infected starts to get slower. Like uh, uh, it starts to get smaller because first the people who, who get infected to the point where they need hospital help are, you know, in the first few weeks are the elderly or the ones who are most susceptible or the ones who have pre-existing conditions. They're the ones who die the fastest. So you hear about those numbers and it's really scary. But then eventually the country gets, uh, uh, the whole country gets exposed. Everyone gets some kind of immunity and the people with the stronger immune systems aren't as susceptible to the disease. So that's what we're seeing in China, probably if you believe the numbers, but that is what we're seeing in South Korea. Eventually we'll see it in the US where we're, we're a month or two behind China probably. And so I think that trend is a trend to keep track of. I think the fact that oil, causing so much of of this of today's downturn is something to keep track of and and how it was a more manipulated downturn rather than a supply and demand issue i think it's important to uh keep track of the fact that factories are coming online again but at the same time industries are also looking for other countries to replace the their manufacturing they depended on in china and we've dealt with these pandemics before and yes we weren't as globalized but we were still pretty globalized. I mean, trade was running all around the world, even in the 60s, 50s, and, and so on. So I guess that's my first initial reaction to what happened today. Um, I don't know. I don't know what else to say other than, you know, oil companies look good because that was totally a BS move on Saudi Arabia's part. Probably planned. My guess is that was probably planned with the U.S. participation because it's a massive stimulus. Again, here's what's happened in the past few weeks in the U.S., the Federal Reserve cut rates 50 basis points. So again, huge, huge uh, 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 stimulus into the economy. It means when you borrow money, your interest rates are lower. So it's easier and cheaper. There's more incentive for you to borrow money, which means when you borrow money, there's more cash in the system, more cash that eventually goes into the stock market. It doesn't happen on day one, happens within anywhere from six to 18 months later. But every, you, there's a saying, don't fight the Fed. Anytime the Fed has started cutting rates, you don't want to bet against it. Now, it's interesting to note, the Fed cut rates 
three times last year. I think it was three times. One, because of Brexit. They thought Brexit was going to affect the economy. And a couple other times because they thought the U.S. might fall into a recession. The U.S. wasn't even close to falling into a recession. They never should have cut rates. Brexit didn't have any effect on the U.S. economy at all. So all of those rate cuts were stimulus into the economy. That is, was still, we still hadn't seen the results. And now we cut rates again, 50 basis points. And now oil prices are have caved in. So there's all this, this stimulus happening. Now all the CEOs of banks are meeting at the White House in the next few days to, to even discuss more stimulus. Uh, it's going to be, it's almost as if it was planned. Like between now and the election, there's going to be so much money flowing into the economy and the stock market. It almost makes me think 2021 is the year to worry about a crash or recession or whatever. Uh, and again, oil is going to go back at some point because Saudi Arabia simply does not have the oil on hand to keep pumping it out. So uh, again, and then again, you look at the worst case with coronavirus. If we simply follow the trends of China and South Korea, what we're going to see is that the fatality rate is much lower than anyone thought. It might be much closer to the flu than anyone thought. And uh, uh, we'll also see the number of, of case infected cases starting to decline. That's just natural. As a country gets immunity, as uh, the people left have stronger immune systems. And by the way, Asian flu from 1957 still exists. It comes back every single year. It's, it, it mutated for a while into SARS. There's always strains of Asian flu in society. So this coronavirus is not going away, but we're going to have, you know, they're, they're thinking by June, they're going to have cures and vaccines or at least testing stuff in trials right now. So it's going to just be incorporated into our ecosystem like all of these other quote unquote pandemics were. Yes, they resulted in a lot of deaths, but the economy survived within six to 12 months. Sometimes the economy didn't even dip like in 1968 or with SARS or with H1N1. Economy barely moved. So I think what's going to happen with the economy here is that we are going to dip. Instead of having 4% growth in Q1, we'll probably have 2%, maybe 0% in the next quarter. But the other thing people don't realize as opposed to the 2008 financial panic, which what what was missing then? We we were we were missing money. The system did not have enough money. So we so that's a weird artificial thing. So we printed money to to replace the money we were missing. Now it seems scarier because what we're missing now are products. Factories in China are not producing products, but that can't last forever. So a China's bringing the factories back online, but b people are going to need. Toilet paper. People are going to need food. They're going to go to the store. They're going to, you know, even if there's a slowdown in demand for a quarter, next quarter, there'll be demand again. There's, there's, there's billions of people, unless we're going into Mad Max territory, which is unlikely because this is probably not going to be the most significant pandemic in history. It's not going to beat the influenza of 1918, we think. You know, no one knows for sure, but it, it certainly seems like it's not even going to come close to that. Uh, demand's going to come back and within one, two quarters. So even if we have a minor slowdown next quarter, the stock market certainly at this point seems cheap to me. Would I buy today? I don't know. I'm not really, I don't like to buy public stocks, but I'm also, and I, other things, am I not worried about coronavirus? No, of course I'm worried. If I see someone I don't know if I know of someone who has coronavirus or I think I have it, I would self-quarantine. I would take care of myself. Everybody should wash their hands five times a day. Unfortunately, my favorite hobby is to touch my eyes and my face, but now I'm not supposed to do that anymore. But uh, so I miss out on this pleasure I've had every two to five minutes of my life since I was born. <laughs> but okay, you have to give up some things in life. And everyone's saying, oh, you can't wear uh, you shouldn't wear face masks because face masks don't protect you. They it only protects the other people you you breathe on if you have coronavirus. But it's not true. The surgical mask it does stop you from touching your face as much. I don't know why. I would just dig in into that mask. <laughs> so you have to get like a hazmat suit to really prevent me from scratching myself. I like perpetually scratch myself all over the place. I have a rash on my arm, but on my back. Cuts everywhere. <laughs> Let's stop to take a quick break. We'll be right back.
Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I I lived in over a hundred or 200 different Airbnbs over a three-year period. And I loved it. I love, I became a really good guest of Airbnbs and I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house, I, of course, the first thing I thought was I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests and having my own Airbnb or or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love, you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away and I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three-story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty, who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Daylight savings time is starting up again. Okay, podcast is over. That's all you needed to know. But why do we have uh, daylight savings time? Answer, to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting your clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day, that initial, when we initially start daylight savings. But if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100-plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. This is such a brilliant idea for a business, and ZipRecruiter did it. So ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. I've used ZipRecruiter particularly as a potential employee, and I still to this day get messages every day. James Aldacher, would you like to apply to be VP of entertainment at NBC or whatever. So there's just nonstop emails. Like I got five or six emails today because of, because a year ago I signed up for ZipRecruiter. So spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Hey, listen, men's health is important. Men act all cocky and like they don't need anything. But the reality is as you get older, there's some things you need. And it often feels like we're too busy to take care of our health problems. Like I'd rather do anything then go to the doctor or the dentist or the pharmacy or whatever. But now you don't have to waste your time if you use HIMS. HIMS, H-I-M-S, HIMS is changing men's healthcare by providing simple and convenient access to science-backed treatments for erectile dysfunction, hair loss, weight loss, and more. The entire process is 100% online, so you get a new routine of improving your overall health faster. Jay, you listening to all this? Yes, I definitely gonna use him from now. Not on. that you need it. You're you're young and healthy, James. I'm thirty five. You, you're getting there. You might you might need it. Who knows? But if prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and indiscreet packaging. No insurance is needed. You can manage your plan on the Hims app, track progress, and learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. Start your free online visit today at Hims dot com slash James. 
Could you imagine that? There's a whole section just with my name on it. Hymns.com slash James. That's how I how much I am representative of the kind of person who needs hymns. That's HIMS.com slash James for your personalized treatment options. Hymns.com slash James. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See hymns.com slash James for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. So I don't know. What's there? Any other thoughts on from anybody on the... I think, I think the fear of the fear. That's what's crazy. It, yeah, people are really afraid that we're going to run out of hospital beds. People are afraid that the deaths are going to be 2% of all of America, which would be 6 million deaths, which is ridiculous because they're forgetting the fact that A, the fatality rate is probably much less than 2%. And they're forgetting the fact that herd immunity happens much faster than the entire country can get exposed. And also we just, you know, healthcare is just going to get better and better where, where, where our ability to come up with a vaccine for this as opposed to SARS in 2003 is going to be 10 times faster. So there are so many factors that are, and, and, and by the way, I agree with people like, so there's a guy, Nassim Taleb, who wrote this excellent book, The Black Swan. He says, this is a black swan. You should prepare for, for panics and everything. Sure. Keep an eye out for that. Uh, you know, I've been writing about coronavirus since since early to mid-January. Like, you want to keep your eye on these things, but you also don't want to unreasonably panic because at some point in the panic, there's opportunity. In 1941, when this, that was the last time I think oil dropped this fast, it was in 1941, uh, John Templeton, uh, this, a young guy interested in investing, put $1,000 into every single stock on the New York Stock Exchange that was trading for less than a dollar. He made millions and it started off uh, uh, his multi-billion dollar investment career that lasted for, I don't know, 50 years or whatever. And again, and Warren Buffett, every time there's been a depression or recession, in 2008, I remember, he was buying banks in the, when when the banks were collapsing. He, he put something like, I don't know, five to $10 billion in Goldman Sachs, for instance, who everyone said was going bankrupt. And he basically was saying, I hope they don't because I just put $5 billion there. So, you know, again, you want to you wanna prepare for the worst, but also kind of prepare for the, the likely outcome as well, given, again, given we don't know the statistics, but given you can get a feel for w what trends we're starting to see in the data now, that, that, that's the important part is that factories are opening up. The we're going to see the data from the economy in the next few months. My guess is, if I were totally a guess, is that the stimulus is going to kick in, oil prices being low is going to kick in, and oil is going to start to go way up pretty quickly. And then we're going to start to see the data in China, Korea, Italy, and then eventually the U.S., where the number of cases will start to level off, the fatality rate will be really low, we'll start to get evidence of cures, and I get it. By the way, interesting thing, the richer someone is, the more I'm noticing that they're that they're literally padlocking and boarding up their houses, their mansions. They're buying hazmat suits for their kids. Like it seems like the well, well, more well off someone is, the more they're panicking about whether or not they're going to get this coronavirus because they just spent all this time making billions of dollars. So they don't want to, they don't want to lose it by getting this shitty little disease all of a sudden. So that's that's one observation. But uh, anyway, conclusion on this is that. I think there were a lot of reasons for the sell-off. We've had a 10-year, uh, uh, more or less 10-year bull market and economic boom. The economy was still booming at the beginning of this coronavirus. Now everybody got scared. I wrote a book. I'm holding this in my hand. I wrote a book that I had forgotten about because I hated it so much. But I wrote it in, the publisher was, was the Wall Street Journal, actually. And I wrote it in, I'm trying to see when this comes out, when this came out. I don't even know when my own book came out. 2011, and it's called The Wall Street Journal Guide to Investing in the Apocalypse by James Altucher. Chapter two, pandemic. And I describe a whole situation where someone dies, bad things happen, things spread, blah, blah, blah. And I analyze this scenario. And let me just see what is my recommendation because I can't even remember. 
Hold on. I never, I never, once I finished this book and handed it in, I never opened it again until this moment. Okay. Principle number one, fade the fear. And I looked at all these situations, 2002, SARS. Yeah, people were just panicking. Like within a few weeks of SARS, thousands of people died. Uh, But then after a few months, there started to be new cases. Then H1N1. There were there were four, between forty two million and eighty six million. I'm reading this from my own book. I didn't. I haven't read this in ten years. Between forty two million and eighty six million cases of the two thousand nine H one N one occurred between April two thousand nine and February thirteenth, twenty ten. And okay, did we did the economy collapse? No. Did the stock market collapse? It probably had volatility. I remember there being some volatility, but look, we were back at all time highs pretty pretty quick. So I don't know. I think people are politicizing this also. I think, you know, everybody's, you know, there's an election here. The Republicans are pointing at the Democrats. The Democrats are pointing at the Republicans. So there's a lot of fear being created by that. Most importantly, people are not afraid of coronavirus. People are afraid of fear. You don't like, the stock market doesn't like uncertainty. The stock market is like a thermometer on the psychology of the world. And people get scared when there's uncertainty. If we knew for sure, like we do with the flu, how many probable deaths there would be, even if it was in the millions, the stock market probably wouldn't have been affected as much. But even though there are only thousands of coronavirus cases, the fact that we don't know, you know, we survived as a species because of our respect, our healthy respect for uncertainty. If there was rustling in the in the trees, we would run our ancestors ran and another bunch of humans didn't run and one out of a thousand of them got eaten by lions and that's why they didn't have any descendants and our ancestors did. Our ancestors were scared to death of uncertainty and that's how that's the genes we have so we're scared to death of it too. That's why this fear of fear, like you mentioned, is what's causing part of this collapse. But coronavirus shouldn't cause it. The fact that Chinese factories are coming online again is a good thing. The fact that we, the Chinese trade war, that's a thing in the past now is another good thing. The fact that the Fed cut uh, rates 50, uh, you know, half of an interest, you know, 1%, basically 0.5% interest, the Fed cut rates, that's a good thing. That might actually be a really bad thing long-term since they didn't really need to cut it because the economy was doing well. The fact that this oil thing is just games between these major players, that should totally be faded meaning you should bet against it. And I don't know. I don't, I don't, I think, again, prepare for the worst case scenario or at least think about it. Load up on, I don't know, your your face masks or whatever and get Tylenol but and wash your hands a lot. But I would ignore the stock market. Don't sell anything. I'm, again, this is not a recommendation. This is what I would do. I wouldn't sell anything. I'd probably look to start edging into oil, but I'm not, I'm not recommending anything. I would also start looking at the India ETFs because certainly India with a billion people is going to start getting manufacturing away from China. And uh, I don't know, probably everything. Probably all the stocks are good now because eventually the stock market's going to be at all-time highs again. And with an election coming up, you can you can bet that you know at least one side is going to do everything they can to stimulate the economy, maybe even too much. That's my fear. My fear is for 2021, but not not for right now. Any other questions, concerns from anybody? Pam? Earlier, Robin said this is the time to go shopping. And I think, you know, I heard earlier someone saying that they're ready to sell everything. Can you talk about people's fear and why it's the opposite of the right thing to do? Yeah, I'll talk about after 9-11. So after 9-11, I, I was day trading for myself and the the market reopened. So 9-11 happened, uh, I think, on a Tuesday and then uh, the markets were closed for the rest of the week. It reopened on Monday. I bought, and the market went down more. I bought again. Market went down more. I bought again. Market went down more. Friday, I couldn't take it anymore. I had bought so much that I sold everything, and I was so scared. The market kept going down and down and down, and I sold everything. I remember specifically at 10.20 a.m., uh, about an hour and a half after the market opened, and then by 10.30 a.m., the market shot up so fast for the next two months, just even that day, I could have made a, so much money, and instead, I was I was just about broke because I because I just let fear. 
I let fear motivate me on the buys because I figured, oh, I'll be smart. I'll buy when everyone's scared. And I let fear force me to sell. And both things were mistakes. So, you know, one common thing to do is just to wait until things sort of settle down and then buy the scraps of what's left that's still cheap. But if you really want to take uh, an interesting risk, buy the big, safe oil companies. And I say they're safe because they have tens of billions of dollars of cash. They make tens of billions of dollars in profits per year, no matter what. This oil crisis is gonna is not a real crisis. It's fake. Uh, and and these companies have been prepared for it for for years anyway. And and again, this 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 cut this what the Saudi Arabians are doing is probably gonna stimulate the US economy anyway. So I think if everyone is saying, you know, oh, I'm selling everything, then it might be best to just sit on your hands, don't sell anything, maybe buy a little bit. Uh, it might be a good strategy to put a few percent in, you know, maybe 10% per work per day, but spread it around. Uh, Robin, earlier you mentioned gold was going up. People are buying gold because it's like what's called a flight to safety. They don't know where to put their money, so they're buying gold. I wouldn't do that anymore because I think that flight to safety has been happening all month, and now is the time probably to cycle back into stocks, but it might be too early. I, I don't know. All I know is this is not the end of the world. That's for sure. And Again, some people will say, oh, you need to account for the one-tenth of one percent chance that it might be the end of the world. Okay, if there's this end of the world, we have other problems. But if it's not the end of the world, then there's all these other things that are positives that I'm saying from a trader's point of view, from an economics or traders or an investor's point of view, there are all these factors that are important to look at right now. There's all these factors of the past that are that we can look at historical precedents to this. So I think Nurel Rabini says, oh, the market's going to fall another 40% in, I think it was July 2010 or July 2011. I think it was 2010. The market fell 20%. It was a bear market, just like now. July 5th, Nurel Rabini and I were on CNBC. I said the market was going to go straight up. He said, no, no, no. He's going to, it's going to fall uh, another 20% since then. Nuriel Rabini has since blocked me on Twitter and just like says, oh, I really hate that guy because he's always wrong every time he says anything. He says if he he's the one I would I would go opposite against. Like if he's saying the market's going to fall 40 percent from here, that's definitely not going to happen. So and by the way, Nuriel, you should invite me to one of your stupid little parties that you didn't invite me to in 2010. And uh, I don't want to go anyway now. So no thanks. <laughs> uh, Is that why they call him Dr. Doom? That he has he has paintings of vaginas all over the walls. What I hear uh, from the people, the many people who have gone to his parties, other than me. So I don't know. I don't know if that's why they call him Doctor Doom or not. But they call him Doctor Doom because he always says it's going to fall down. It does make me think of the idea that cynicism is what passes for insight among mediocre people. So Steve, you just said cynicism is what passes for insight among mediocre people. I think that's true. I think also, I think it's true that also very smart people have analyze this correctly from the beginning, which is that you can't just say, well, the flu has a million deaths. This only has 3,000 or 4,000. So the flu is much bigger. The flu is like a linear, uh, better way to say is coronavirus is expanding exponentially. So if, if cases double every day, the world's in big trouble. But as we see from China and South Korea, eventually the cases stop exponentially growing, and that's going to happen in the U.S. Also, we hope it's most likely the data is suggesting that's what's going to happen. We're going to have a cure again. We hope we don't know for sure, but that's what the data suggests is likely to happen. And so uh, I think the cynics were correct a month ago to be nervous. And now that the worst has been happening and we start we're starting to get a little bit more clear view on the data it it it's pays to look at both sides of the data now not just one side has the worst been happening cuz a lot of people will say this is only just beginning more and more people yeah yeah so so okay there's two ways this is how you measure these things when something's exponential like this when i say the worst has happened it doesn't mean that's the end of all deaths. There are going to be, unfortunately and tragically, there are going to be many, many more deaths. We're at 4,000 deaths now. I wouldn't be surprised to see well over a million deaths around the world. Um, but you, you measure you measure worst in several ways. One is by the actual number. So how many cases? Is it worse than the flu? Is it better than the flu? In that case, we don't know yet. But what we do, what another way to measure the worst is to say, how fast is this accelerating? Are we tripling every day? Oh, maybe in the beginning we were. 
Are we doubling every day? Okay, that's a little bit better than tripling, even though it's still horrible and horrific if it continues that way. Oh, but now we might not be doubling every day. Now we might be going down every day or, or the rate of acceleration might be going from double to single digits to down. So that's what I mean when the worst is over is that the worst was really in Wuhan when it started. We didn't know what was going on. People were dying. Uh, the entire city was on lockdown. Everybody was so scared that all the factories, you know, like 600 million people were affected in China in terms of factories being closed. So that part is over. Like the factories are reopening and quarantining seemed to have worked in China and it seems to be working in South Korea. We'll see how Italy is going to be a great data point to see how it works there. And in the U.S., of course, we're, we don't have enough cases to get any reasonable data, but we're not really seeing deaths of people who are, you know, most of the deaths are people who are in the elderly, the people who are most susceptible to die from respiratory diseases. We don't know how many millions of people perhaps have already been infected with this, but have no symptoms. So again, there's a lot of data to still know, to still learn, but it seems like the worst is over in terms of uh, understanding what happens in this massive, exponential, contagious, infectious disease that at some point it seems to level off in at least the first two countries that were affected. We'll see if it continues to happen. But even if a million people worldwide die, even if five million people worldwide die, that's horrible, that's tragic. Every personal story is tragic. But in terms of its effect on the global economy, it's not that different from other pandemics that have happened and that continue to happen over the years. And we see other many other indications that the economy is is ready to go again. The, the biggest fear was that, that China would stop producing goods. That was the fear on the economy. That fear is starting to be over. I'm just talking about the stock market. The disease, we don't know. But the stock market, the worst seems to be, the economy, the worst seems to be over. Now, again, we'll probably have a slowdown in the next quarter. But if there's a slowdown in demand, there'll be an uptick in demand the quarter after. That's just the natural course of these recessions. It happened in 2009. It happened in 2002, 2003. It happened in 97. It happened in 87. It happened in 73, 74. It happened in 57. So there's all these times where life, you know, world-threatening situations happened. Everybody thought the world was going to just be a disaster forever. I mean, in 2008, I was scared. I thought, all get money out of the ATM because you're never going to get money again. 9-11, I was scared. I thought, that's it. The U.S. is being invaded and we're, the world economy is never going to function again. Uh, 1997, uh, did, you know, all these debt crises, the, the crises, there's, I thought everything was going to implode. 1987, stock market fell 20% in a day. Never saw anything like that in my lifetime. It was It was a disaster. Nobody knew what was going to happen next, but now we're get, we we have those experiences and and we see the data is starting to shape up. So you're correct. There's certainly going to be more deaths, but our understanding of the disease is getting better, and we're also understanding the rate of change of the disease a little better. So that in that sense, I think the worst is either over or we see some light at the end of that tunnel. But it's like second or third level thinking. It's not oh, the number of deaths is going to stop. It's the rate of change of the rate of change is starting to slow down. And that's that's the number to look at right now. Um, any other? Well, oh, crypto. Crypto, I, I don't know. I mean, crypto fell with this and gold went up. I kind of felt initially in January when, again, the smart people were starting to kind of yell about the, the dangers of coronavirus. Crypto actually went up to uh, a... a, a high over 10,000. Now it's in the 7,000s. I don't really know why it fell during this time, but who knows? So I, I don't know. But just to keep in mind, 250 to 500,000 people a year die of the flu. Right. But, but again, crazy. but that just stays the same. Right. And it's horrible too. But we know, we right. kind of know that happens and every industry sort of plans for that. That's why I mean that the uncertainty is the bigger problem is, than, yeah. than the number of deaths. So even though coronavirus is at 4,000 deaths right now, we still don't know whether it's going to be 5 million deaths eventually or 200,000 deaths or 100,000 deaths. Once we have certainty and once we have better healthcare measures to plan for it, again, the news today is we're going to run into hospital beds. We're not going to run out of hospital beds. The US, United States of America is going to find 
hospital beds. There's many places to find beds. For one thing, China will start manufacturing them again and send them over to us. So that's going to be fine. But yeah, so some some things are going to get worse in terms of the health of particular individuals in this country. But in terms of the economic um, impact, I think what I just said uh, during this podcast is the likely scenario. And I'm saying this not as an immunologist, but as someone who's just looking at the data and someone who's seen this scenario play out many times before. And also looking at um, the factory openings, our dependence on China as an economy, our dependence on oil and what's what's the real thing. Like none of the news I watched today even mentioned that oil going down this low is actually a big stimulus to the economy. They all said, oh, oil's collapsing. The stock market's collapsing. Hello, every other time oil went up is when the stock market will collapse. Now oil's going down. Everybody listening to this just got a pay raise today because oil went down. So eventually that's got to work itself out to the positive. So we'll see what happens. But um, I w- Jay? Oh, no, I was Robin? just going to say, buy the fear and sell the news. Or at least, like, or at least do nothing do. on the fear yeah. <laughs> and sell the bet. Or I don't know what you do on the news. I would ignore the news and do nothing on the fear. But I wouldn't panic. If you hold something that you think is a good company, right? probably you should hold it. If you don't own oil companies, I kind of like Sam Zell's advice of buying oil companies. Probably every industry could be bought now, but certainly when you see Royal Dust Shell, with 18 billion in cash, tens of billions in profits. They trade for only four times cash flow and they have a 9% yield. Right. Uh, you know, you get you get 0% in your savings account and you get 9% if you invest in a pretty stable, massive energy company. Uh, that's a pretty, that sounds like a pretty yeah. good deal. You just sit there and wait for every 10,000 you put in, you get $900 from, from that investment a year. If you put ten thousand in your savings account, you get zero a year or or one dollar a year. So that's a, a a big difference, which is why when they lower interest rates, people start putting money into the stock market because you can't make any money in your by just leaving it in the bank. So companies invest the money, people buy stocks and get dividends. So all these all these things are happening. And then what? Heaven forbid, uh, coronavirus starts to level off like in every other country. We're gonna see this massive massive boom. And again, my main worry is going to be inflation in 2021, but we'll see what happens. So like a couple of episodes back, like you, you and Phyllis have talked about like if coronavirus go long enough, sentence might win. And you know, like if stay short enough. Uh- well, okay. So, so Jay, your question is when I was talking to Phil a few weeks ago, I said, uh, if coronavirus is around another, you know, six to eight weeks, we could be in for a really uh, big trouble the whole the whole economy could result in a global depression even and i think what we've seen happen since then is china's reopened lots of factories so that was my main worry it's not the virus it was the shutdown of factories so the supply chain has started to work again which means the economy continues to hum now we have seen travel go down that's why every event is being canceled south by southwest canceled lots of conferences canceled so we'll see how much longer that happens that has an effect on the economy but the biggest fear I had was Chinese factories being closed. But now we see Apple's factories are open again. Tesla's factories are open again. You know, Amazon's still being affected because they're affected by every factory. But, and then the other thing we're seeing now is some, again, I repeated this a million times, but we're starting to see some evidence in the data that the rate of change of the rate of change of this virus starts to slow down after a few months, which, which by the way, is just like the 1957 Asian flu. It started in February. It scaled up really fast, exponentially. It disappeared completely in the summer. It broke out again, huge in November. And that's when the economy really was affected. But then by the mid-1958, things were, uh, the economy was booming. The stock market was booming. So long-term, things were fine. And our healthcare is a million times better now than it was then. And and significant deaths happened then. That flu is still around. That was definitely a pandemic. 34,000 people in the U.S. alone died from that one. Maybe more people will die on this one, but, you know, just worldwide, you know, millions died over the long run from that one, and we survived. So do you think that's gonna, this going to affect the, the election at all, or you think that's just... Yeah, I think that's going to affect the election huge. I think what's going to happen is the economy was doing great before, and voters tend to vote their pockets, although, as Scott Adams mentioned on the podcast, uh, you know, 
all the rules are rewritten with Trump, so it's hard to predict. But, and certainly this coronavirus has been politicized. Everybody's accusing everybody of, you know, everything here. But I think what we're going to see is in two months, coronavirus is barely going to be in the news. There'll be the occasional updates, of course, and then they'll still be happening and people will still be dying. But in terms of its effect on the economy, it won't be in the news at all. And But what what we're left with is this huge, huge stimulus, which is happening right now because of the coronavirus. And again, that's going to suck in 2021 if we can't handle the inflation, but it's going to be a massive stimulus before the election, which is what this is sort of like played out exactly as Trump could have. This this is like this is like Trump's best dream come true, which is that he forced the Federal Reserve to cut interest rates massively. He He's forced Saudi Arabia to simulate the global economy massively. And that chi- the trade war with China is over in his favor. Somehow this uh, he didn't even plan it this way. But whether or not this works out for him in the election, I don't know. But it's certainly going to work out for the economy in the next few months as long as Chinese factories don't close down again, which it doesn't look like they're going to do. And again, we'll see the data shape up in South Korea, then in Italy, then in the U.S., and we'll see if all these things play out. But my guess is, and again, prepare for the worst, but my guess is the likelihood is within two months, we won't even be talking about this anymore, and stocks will be surging, and the economy will be getting ready for, the economy will slow down, but we'll barely notice it because the economy will be getting ready for uh, its next big uptick by the time we're even aware that the economy had a massive slowdown right now. All right. Well, special emergency yeah. coronavirus stock market <laughs> podcast right, within minutes after landing from the Netherlands, where we stole tons of illicit drugs through the airports. Don't it's too late to arrest me now because I buried it all. And <laughs> Uh, somehow we escaped there, even though I was coughing on the plane the entire time. And uh, if you have any questions, tweet it out and we'll respond to them on another one of these uh, emergency podcasts, particularly if the market falls again. But don't panic. As it says in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the main mantra is don't panic and don't forget your towel because you're going to be washing your hands so much. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu accreditation.